Are you wondering if spanking is an okay form of discipline? Worried that you and your partner don't have the same parenting styles? Want some expert parenting tips? On this episode of Brainy Moms, Terry and I interview Dr. Candace Jones, pediatrician and author of the new American Academy of Pediatrics book, High Five Discipline, Positive Parenting for Happy, Healthy, Well-Behaved Kids. Dr. Candace shares five essentials to positive parenting. She talks about the importance of controlling our own emotions, and she reveals how attention is a parent's superpower. It's an episode full of amazing advice from one of our nation's parenting experts. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Brainy Moms. I'm Dr. Amy Moore, here with my co-host, Terry Miller, coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Our guest today is Dr. Candace Jones. Dr. Candace is a board-certified pediatrician in Orlando, Florida. She's a spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics, a mom of two, host of the podcast Kidding Around with Dr. Candace, and author of the brand new book, High Five Discipline, Positive Parenting for Happy, Healthy, Well-Behaved Kids. Dr. Candace, thank you. Thank you for being here. We are so, so honored to have you. And can't wait to hear about, can't wait to really dig in and hear about your book and the amazing um, practical tools and information you have for us. Before we dig into that, just give our listeners a little background, a little bit about your story. And I think it's super interesting that you were a nurse before you became a doctor. So tell about that journey too. Oh, you've done your homework. (laughs) Certainly, I can do that for you and your listeners. Um, But I want to say first, thank you, ladies, so much for having me today for, for, you know, talking about my book and sharing it with your audience. And so I'm excited to have this discussion. Um, So about me, (laughs) I am, as we started talking about a little bit before we start recording, um, I'm from Alabama and grew up there. And one interesting thing is I had to go all the way to Atlanta to medical school um, and meet my husband who is grew up 30 minutes away from me in, in, in Demopolis, Alabama. How neat is that? That is neat. So, right, right. So both of us are from this around the same area in Alabama. And then we meet at medical school in Atlanta. So I am a um, pediatrician, as you said, and I love, love, love taking care of uh, children from birth to young adulthood. And I call myself the auntie. Um, I really take it personally, like I'm a part of the family. And I want to be there to be an important part of you growing into a happy, healthy, productive citizen one day. So I'm, I, I like to think I help parents guide that process. Yes, I was a nurse. Um, I have a lot of nurses in my family. I have a very practical, uh, just straightforward, no, no chaser mom. And when I was an undergrad, she said, okay, everybody's graduating with these chemistry and biology degrees. And what are they doing with them? And if they don't get into medical school, what happens next? So-and-so daughter, she still hadn't found a job and -and so-and-so son, you know, those types of things. So can you find a degree that is going to give you a job while you get into medical school if you need that time in between time? And lo and behold, I needed that time and I listened to her, which I rarely would say I did. I listened to her on that one and I did my undergrad, which is a little untraditional, um, 
in nursing. And so I did work uh, for several years as a nurse. And my first year of medical school, I was able to work that summer. That's the only summer you get off, uh, make some money. And so it served me well. And it served me well clinically because I had good hands to touch patients and do things already. All of that stuff was out of the way. Um, the bedside manner and those types of things were, was out of the way. So I feel like I did have an uh, advantage going in. Goodness, yeah. Yeah, so that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> right. I know. I find that fascinating. My husband's a nurse. So awesome. It's a great field. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I want to talk about your book. Um, I love how you say it's time for many parents to remodel the way they discipline because the old school approach doesn't work and harms children. So talk about that. Yeah, thank you for that. Because I think that's one of the core, I think, principles of the book. Um, You know, in my book, I really, I'm really transparent. Um, And I share this with my patients and their families often, like, look, I get it. I get old school discipline because I was raised that way. And very early on, before I knew better, I did the same thing because we're indoctrinated to do what our parents taught us to do. We believe what they believe and that it's right. Um, And once I saw better, once I saw different, once I saw um, the proof or the evidence of how it can be harmful, not all of it, um, but then I said, okay, I've got to do better. You know, we see wonderful teachers. They don't have to hit kids or yell at kids or do some of the old school things with their kids in classroom. And they can manage a class of 20 something kids and pour into them and get them to behave and get them to learn. Um, And so we can take some of that stuff from them and we can do that too as parents. Um, And so I definitely think there's a level, maybe not for everyone, for a lot of us, a level of unlearning and relearning, questioning some of the disciplinary strategies that maybe our parents used and saying, hey, is that what I want to do? And then how do I remodel that in myself? Because for most of us, it's knee jerk. Like when you're challenged by your child, you react from how you were raised and how things were modeled to you. And so you really have to break that thing down and say, okay, this is what triggers me. How am I going to respond to this? Teach yourself some skills and start peeling back those layers and trying to intentionally do things differently for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Talk talk to us about, um, There's four different, you talk about in your book, four different parenting styles, right at the beginning of your book, you kind of review some of the basics and interesting, I, interestingly, I think most of us or a lot of us were raised by one specific parenting style, kind of the old school (laughs) way. So talk about those four parenting styles and what we should be, or I don't want to should, what we could be shooting for as healthy parents. Right. Well, basically what we know um, is best it is, is the evidence shows is the best way. Now, of course, there's an art of everything. There's an art of parenting. So there is room for you to put your spin on it and put your stamp and your style on it. So we're not trying to box people in, but there are some basic, um, I would say, principles or essentials, as you'll see with my book, that should be there that are best approaches and strategies to set that up, right? And we know that's what works and that's what helps to create happy, healthy, well-behaved kids. So we definitely, I'm sure we're going to talk about that. But the different, you know, 
through the ages, we've had helicopter parenting, tiger parenting, balanced parenting, all these different types of parenting uh, styles keep getting recoined, right? But the basic, like from the textbook, basic ones is where I said, I'm just going to go back to the basics. And yes, an authoritative parent may now be a balanced parent, but it's still the same parent, right? Um, so the authoritative parent is, is, is a parenting disciplinary style um, where the house is like a democracy, if you will. And this is the style that is the best for uh, children that has a level of demandedness, balancing what I demand of my child and my expectations, but also balanced with responsiveness to your child, right? Like when my child is having emotion, you know, they're upset or they're crying or they're angry, I'm going to respond to them versus be quiet. I don't want to hear it, <laughs> right? Suck it up, that type of thing. And when I set my expectations and rules and all of those things and boundaries and structure at home, that I let my children know what those things are because I do have some level of demand. And there's a democracy going on in the sense that we tell our children what those rules are. And we also, even going back a little further, we sit down and say, hey, um, you have to do your homework, dude, right? <laughs> you have to do your homework. But how can you get that done? Would you like to do a little bit each day or should we pound it out on the weekend? Do you want to start early in the morning or are you a late? When do you, you know, learn more? When are you more awake to do this in the evening? You know, I'm here to just help you. You've got to get it done. But tell me what you think. You know what I mean? Or when your child comes to you, for instance, my son asked me someday, it was so funny. I'm trying to remember what he said. Oh, it was so cute. And he used my words and he kind of gave me the option. Well, what about that? And I was like, oh, you remember. That's cool. You know, I was like, yeah, you can have that as, as an option. So what do you think? And then he told me what he would like to do. Um, so that's that authoritative approach. Now, I was raised authoritarian, Right. Do what I say, not what I do, you know, don't ask me why, you know, why? Because I'm the dad. Right. (laughs) That I was raised that way. So literally, I fight every day. Sometimes my kids say, why? And I go, because I said so. I'm just, I'm tired. You know, my meter is down, right? <laughs> my frustration toler- tolerance is down. I'm, I'm tired now. It's late in the evening. I need you to go to bed. And, and I'm, I've lost my skills. So we kind of go between that sometimes. Um, but my goal is to try to shoot for that authoritative approach. Um, and, and it really helps kids not only to choose to behave, and make good choices, but also it empowers them with the skills to make good choices for themselves. And it serves them down the road as adults um, with problem solving and decision making and all of those skills. We want them, we're, we're parenting um, in the moment now, but we are thinking down the road when they become an adult and we need to prepare them for that. When we're authoritarian, which is the next one, and we just make them do what we want them to do and we control everything and they just have to do it 
our way and when we want it and how we want it and those types of things, they're left not with a lot of chance to practice and mess up and make mistakes and learn how to make those decisions and do things on their own and problem solve. And so we stifle their growth in a sense. And it can also create more rebellion and tension and all of this stuff in the relationship. So that authoritarian person, again, is more like a, a dictatorship you know, that type of parenting. Um, certainly there are some times where, you know, when your child's life is in danger, you have to be a dictator, uh, you know, right? Um, but those should be rare if, if we set up our relationship and our situation in a way that is supportive and nurturing and, and guides our children in the right way. So then you have what we call more permissive parents. Um, or a permissive style of parenting. And that is where you have um, low demandedness. There's really no expectations. Oh, you'll figure it out, <laughs> right? Oh, you live your life. You'll figure it out. It, it'll be okay. Um, but you have a lot of responses. Oh, you hurt your finger. Oh my God, come here. She was mean to you. Oh my God. You know, you're just overly hovering and overly responsive and not allowing your child to, to experience any challenges of life and work through them. Right. And you're not demanding anything of them. So they're just not going to be able to handle challenges as they become adults. They're just not going to do well because you haven't prepared and taught them how to, how to navigate those things. Um, and then our, our um, what we call more of negligent type of parenting um, would be a, a, a parenting style where, you know, this is one that's pretty serious where you, these parents do provide like water and shelter and food, right? They're not so negligent to the point where they need to be removed, but they are really not there the child is basically isolated. They're just in the house. They can go and come as they please. The parent really pays them no attention. You walk in, no, hi, how was your day? Whatever. Um, they're just disconnected. And that is really damaging to the child because they haven't seen a healthy relationship. They don't have connection. And we know how connection and belonging really matters in life. Um, and so they really struggle in life with relationships um, and things of that nature. So we don't want to be that type of parent either. Um, so those are those the four basic, of course, like I said, so many coin terms have spouted off of that. Um, but the point of doing that is to give, not to put anyone in a box, because you may be hybrids of of different ones. We know in certain cultures, there are definitely hybrids of these parenting styles. Um, for instance, we know that Hispanic families, Asian families, African-American families have a type of hybrid of authoritative and authoritarian, and it comes out of protectiveness. Um, and so a lot of things uh, that are done is in order to 
protect their child in society, which can be a little more controlling, but it's from a protective space, which can be harmful in some scenarios. Um, so we know there's hybrids, there's research on that, um, but these basic styles are there to guide us and to give us a scaffolding, if, if you will, of what we should be shooting for and which ones have the best outcomes. Yeah. So what advice would you give to parents who have two different parenting styles? Mom has one, dad has another. Yes, I have a nice highlighted box <laughs> about that right. after this, this section. And it, and it definitely needed to be highlighted because that's what I see a lot. And we all know of this, you know, you could have a multi-generational home where there's literally grandparent, parent, both parents, and the grandparent has one school of thinking around discipline and parenting. Um, and then dad has one and mom has one. And, and basically what ends up happening if those adults don't come together and try to have some compromise and a united front in front of those kids and agree upon some basic things, it ends up creating stress and strain, number one, confusing the child and also creating holes for manipulation by the child. And it just creates problems. It just creates problems. So your child quickly, as they get older, will start to learn, okay, grandma lets me do whatever I want, because, you know, you could have been authoritarian when you were raising, when you were raising your kids. But by the time you become grandma, you're like, come on, baby, you want candy, you want drinks, you want whatever. I'll leave him alone. You know, they're, they're kind of coddling, right? And um, so grandma gives me whatever I want. So I can go to grandma and ask her for something mom and dad already, or dad already said no for, because he's the strict one. And then say, grandma can have, oh, sure, baby. But I know dad said no. Right. And, you know, that type of stuff can can go on um, and we don't want that. And then it ends up the adults end up arguing about it. Right. And so that's just not the environment you want. You need to have conversations, even if you're co-parenting, you know, outside of your home in different homes or you're you're married and or just co-parenting in the home. You need to decide and come to some compromise on how you want to do this thing. And one of the most important rules, I think, is that don't keep a united front. Don't argue about this stuff in front of the child, right? You know, if you see that they've just manipulated you, just kind of give each other eyes, step away, go discuss what happened, then come back and um, discuss with the child what your plan is for this situation. Don't argue in front of the child about it, for sure. That's good. Yeah. Would you recommend that one parent take on the role of the disciplinarian? Should one parent be in charge of making all of the decisions and the other parent defer to that? Or do you look at this as it needs to be a true partnership? I think in reality that that ends up happening. Mm -hmm. It does. But I think that it should be a partnership. Absolutely. I think children do better when they see that. Um, they learn so many skills from that, that my parents work together, they compromise, they show, you know, I just think it's just even more powerful when you can do it together. Um, and, and kids can walk and chew gum at the same time. So if there's some variations, right? As long as the basics of it is united, I think kids will do good. Right. Yeah. 
better with when you work together. I appreciate that a few minutes ago you or earlier you talked about um, that you you are going for the goal of authoritative parenting, that that is the goal. We know um, based on research and evidence that that is the style of parenting, that kind of collaborative um, leadership, but not just overpowering the kiddo. Um, and I appreciate that you said, yet, when you are exhausted, when you're just worn out at the end of the day, you might fall into that authoritarian style that you were raised with. And it made me think, yeah, that that I think a lot of us as parents, we fall into the style that maybe the way we were raised right. or what feels easiest. And so, yeah, I see that like thinking about my husband and I, that when he's tired, he, he definitely has the goal of authoritative and that's mostly his parenting style. But when he's tired and weary, he goes so permissive. Ah, <laughs> anything goes Disney. Whatever yeah. Right. You can do anything. Stay in place. Just let me get yeah. some sleep. Yeah. Watch TV screens. I don't care. You know, and he's just, right. everybody loves daddy. And then so horribly, I'm like you, when I'm overtired, I'm like, Oh my gosh go to bed. I am done. <laughs> I go all authoritarian. Right, and then, right. Absolutely. I can imagine other parents that when they're overtired, they just go neglectful. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. So. It, it definitely will vary. You're right. We're all different and it may default to our personality, the environment we grew up in, what we've been through, right? right? Um, And so to overcome that, again, you have to be very intentional that you put some uh, fail safes in place that you're seeing yourself and going, oh, I'm doing it. Hold up, hold up, hold up, you know, some of those strategies. And I've caught myself I'm getting better. <laughs> We've got to do our work, right? Right. Um, but absolutely. Or, or especially when you're running late for something. Mm-hmm. That's when you don't have time. There are no choices. Put you right. on, grab your purse. We got to go. We're late. You're going to miss your test. You know, then it's just, you know, you're just barking orders. And so, yeah, even though you're not being mean, you're just barking orders. There's not many choices there when we got to go. <laughs> Yes. And I, so, yeah. I kind of parent with the 90-10 philosophy that 90% is negotiable and 10% isn't. And that's one of those times where, okay, this timeline is not negotiable. We have to there go. There you go. So, there you yeah. go. So Absolutely. I, I want to um, dig in a little bit about spanking and physical discipline. Um, it's a topic I'm super passionate about, and I know you are too. Um, so I'd like for you to talk about that. How does it affect kids? Um, right. What are we getting right? What are we not getting right? Absolutely. Um, There is so much evidence and research around these topics, um, probably that I couldn't even get to, right? (laughs) It was just so much. But what, where I started with that is, you know, I am support the AAP American Academy of Pediatrics. And we have a wonderful policy statement around discipline. And so in line with that, 
um, that's kind of where I began, you know, started that foundation. And so what we know in a nutshell is that um, aversive or negative forms of discipline or unhealthy forms of discipline are harmful to children, number one, and they really don't work, number two, so we just don't need to use them. Um, the harmful piece of it is not only is it hitting or spanking, like physical discipline, um, that is harmful because you can physically hurt your child, end up, you know, with child abuse. And as parents escalate when their children are misbehaving, I think there's that slippery slope, right? I call them like first cousins. <laughs> You're spanking. And depending on what's going on with this child, sometimes we slide down that that slope um, that's near abuse um, or can lead to abuse. So that's the first thing, you know, the harm of the potential of physical abuse. Um, secondly, you know, it can lead to mental abuse um, that we know about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and it can be a source of trauma that ultimately sets your flat fight or flight system out of control where you're dysregulated and your child can be hypervigilant and all of this distress response that's overwhelming your body ends up harming your body physically, behaviorally, learning. It harms the developing brain and body, um, which can lead to health problems and all kind of other problems down the road. And so that's a piece of it. And then the modeling of the violence, of the, the hitting, right? Because some people don't see spanking as violence. Um, but the modeling of the hitting, you know, if you are angry with your child and you hit, or if your child has done something you're not pleased with and you hit, you're, you're telling them that that's an appropriate response, right? When I'm angry, you're not saying it out of your mouth because you're saying, I'm the parent, I can do this to you, this is okay, right? But when you're angry, you hit so I can hit. Right. Um, my sister, my brother, my friend, he made me so angry. I lashed out because that is what is modeled to that child. Um, so those are just some of the ways it trickles into their life and can be harmful to them. Um, then there is other forms that are unhealthy, like yelling, um, threatening, um, demeaning, shaming. All of those things are just as bad as the physical discipline. When you talk about mental and emotional stressors, um, the impact it could have on their relationships in life with others and adult relationships, work relationships, um, it, it, marital conflict that it can lead to um, later in life. And so when we shame, when we call our children names, when we threaten them um, and parent them by fear and control, it, 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 it is just harmful to the, to the developing brain and body and can lead to long-term negative outcomes. And that's what the research has shown. And so since it doesn't even work really, like long-term, um, it's just something we should try to get away from as best we can. So I want to dig in a little bit about that last statement that you made. 
um, about it not working long term, right? Mm-hmm. So differentiate there between the immediate, um, right. because right. there right. there will be parents who say, "Oh yes, it does work." When I spank my child, <laughs> right. he stops doing what he's that. doing right then. So right. so elaborate on that a little bit. Right, absolutely, and I hear that. I get that um, all the time, and that's why I clarify that. Um, so yeah, if you, if your child is doing something and you scream really loud at them and threaten them for doing it, they're going to stop in that moment, right? They're going to stop in that moment. Most children, or if you hit them for something, they're going to stop in that moment and cry or be upset. So that's why parents do it because they feel like it worked, but in my opinion, nine times out of 10, those behaviors repeat. Those behaviors repeat. One reason is because the child really didn't learn anything. They, they learn that, uh, don't do that, right? They learn that I'm whatever you just call me. I'm bad, right? I deserved your anger. I deserve to be hit. People really believe that. I believe that when I was a child, you know, look what I did you know, and you, the parents, like, you made me do that. Well, then don't do that. And then I won't do that. Almost like it's, you know, oh, it's my fault. I'm terrible. I made mom hit me or I made mom yell at me. Right. I made mom angry. So that's what I deserved. Um, And so we don't want to send those messages, right? Because your children may have done something wrong or in that moment, something quote unquote bad, but they are not bad. Right. So we can tell our children and speak to that behavior. That is inappropriate. But I love you. I still love you. Or you're still my baby and you're wonderful. You just made a bad you just made a bad choice or a poor choice in that moment. That's the message we want to send. Right. But sometimes we send the wrong message. And so there is a difference in short term. They stopped. But most of the time that behavior repeated because they didn't learn an alternative. They didn't learn what else can I do? And so one of the things I talk about in the book is being instructive. When your child is doing something you don't want them to do, tell them what they can do instead of no, stop, don't, right? Uh, Or all the other stuff that we say and do. And so that's really a part of it and, and, and really starting early with that because that's the training and the discipline and the, the teaching so that there's, you know, can sort of be smooth sailing as they get older. Yeah, absolutely. I hear you like describing an intentionality, like the difference between, and you talk about this in your book, the difference between punishment and training or discipline. Right. That right. punishment uh, seems to be more associated with anger. It's unintentional. It's these things happened. And so, pah, you know, parent blows with anger mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of there are intentional processes, there are intentional expectations, and there are planned consequences that are cause and effect. And that is, that can be completely devoid of anger. There's right. no anger because it's just, this was the expectation. It wasn't followed through. This is the discipline or cause. And, you know, this is the effect from that cause. And so it's so much more intentional than I think many parents um, walk with, live with. We miss that intentionality. And I I hear you talking about that. 
you 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 described that so beautifully that that was spot on um punishment is more punitive like you said it's like you will pay for that <laughs> like i had to be frustrated and feel the pain of what you did so you're gonna pay too you're gonna learn today <laughs> type of thing right um and we all we need to get to that our schools need to get to that place where discipline is not punitive right um in life in general where things are just always so punitive versus what we a new thing well not so new but newish in the educational setting I have some wonderful friends that talk about social emotional learning where it's more restorative in the sense of like you said you did something wrong you knew the rules um there's an equal and opposite reaction right for what you did cause and effect and so unfortunately this we have to do this now you made the choice this is the consequence for that but also allowing the child to restore themselves i'm sorry um if i lied about my homework now i need to make up the homework i need to apologize to my teacher uh say i'm sorry mom um there's some responsibility in there and 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 understanding why i did what i did and that i want to do better right very intentional so important. Yeah, very 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 so i want to talk about attention um and you say um that attention is a parent's superpower and so that's very um, Howard Glasser-esque, right? That he talks about, you know, water plants, not weeds. Um, right. Yeah. So uh, talk about that. Yes, 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 yes. So in the book, um, I share that early on with my son, who's now 12, he, and this was his preschool toddler years, we were struggling. And I, the pediatrician, a very young, early pediatrician, took a parenting class and you can too <laughs> and you should right <laughs> right and so i gave credit to that behavior analyst who taught that class um and described that and i brought her on my podcast so she says that on my podcast as well that is your superpower um and i i don't know who originally coined that um, but that's what she said to me and it, it was powerful. And that's what she said on my podcast and it was powerful for the audience. And so it, it just means that your children, especially if you've set up a healthy relationship with your children, you have that good relational health, they want to please you. They trust you, they love you, they respect you, and you do the same for them. And so they want to please you, right? They want to be connected to you. Um, and they want you to say, good job and respond to them and see what they're doing. They, they love that. It really supports their growth and development, whether they know it or not. It, it does something for them, right? We know that bonding and attachment from early infancy really supports the growing brain and body. And so from very early on, if we've done it right, we've set them up to love our hugs, our kisses, our affection, our, our, our okay, looking back at them and talking to them and smiling and all of that 
um, connection, those connection um, activities or practices. And so with that being said, as they get older and they become terrible twos and terrible threes, because I think this attention really, really, really is for that toddler and preschool period, especially the toddlers, when they're just, you know, all over the place. They're busy, they're active, they are doing what they're supposed to do. They're exploring, they're into everything, they're challenging you, uh, they're figuring out that this, this is so important that I write in the book. It's a period where they're figuring out, oh, I have my own thoughts, I can test this. And it doesn't have to be like mom said, like, like they're figuring out their own train of thought and, and, and they have a mind of their own and people have their, their the mind of their own. So I can test this and do it my way. Right. So they're striving for that independence. And so they're testing us all the time and, and it's frustrating. Right. We can own that. It can be frustrating. And so attention is a powerful tool also when they have their so their emotional dysregulated moments, right? When they're tantruming, when they're melting down. And so we can take those moments and say, okay, I'm going to give my attention to what I want to see, right? What I want to see. When they're doing what I want to see, I'm going to give them my attention. I'm going to praise them. I'm going to reward them. I'm going to let them know I see their efforts, what they're doing, and I like it, okay? But when they're doing things that we don't want to see, (laughs) right, we're going to remove our attention or ignore it. That's so hard to do. Right. I have seen so many parents and probably done it myself or in those early years. Just go stop it. Why are you doing this? Sit down. You know, if you don't stop crying, you know, the the person, you know, I literally, which was so sad, had a three year old come in and the and the, the grandmother brought a video from the teacher videoing the child having a meltdown in the classroom. And the grandma thought and the teacher thought I was going to take that and just diagnose the child with something wrong with them and all of that. Right. Because we point fingers and don't see the three pointing back at us. And I said, I'm so sad. And she said, why? I said, because first of all, it's inappropriate to film a child in front of everybody. The class was full of other kids. I said, do you see, can you see how he was reacted, acting to being filmed? He didn't like that. Oh, yeah, I do see that. Okay. He didn't like that. So what is she doing? Well, she's kind of making him upset, right? She, she's sparking the, she's fueling the tantrum. And then instead of removing her attention or what we call co-regulating with him coming in and being nurturing and trying to get in to soothe him down, de-escalate him, if you will. Um, she was poking the bear. Pick up the chair. Why did you throw the chair down? Didn't I tell you to get up? You're going to have to calm down. She was filming him and poking him with her words. How could he calm down? It was impossible. 
so awful. Oh my God. It was impossible. And I told grandma, I want to cry. This is terrible. This is a teacher. She should not be teaching toddlers if she doesn't know how to handle that better. He's a toddler boy. He might be sticking out like a sore thumb. There may be some very mature three-year-old girls in that room that don't do this, but this is so within normal development. And he's the only child, and this is his first time coming to school. So he doesn't, he has no skills to deal with conflict or not being first in line and not wanting to follow the teacher's instructions. He needs patience and support and teaching and just give him some time. He'll get in line, but school just started. So anyway, that was really bad. And she could have easily removed her attention, got herself together, gave him his moment, or even do better with managing the environment, having a quiet place for those moments, right? Um, Or coming in and trying to soothe him down and then talking to him about the expectations of the classroom. Um, So yeah, needless to say, I sent a nice long, they were probably shocked at my comments, you know, the child didn't do anything wrong. The adults in the room did. The child was doing what three-year-olds do. Yeah. That's such a, you you made an interesting comment. Um, You said he was an only child. Yes. Um, Talk a little bit about the trends that you see um, that might be a little bit different with only children than children who have siblings in terms of behavior. That's a great question. Um, So the way I saw it is he lives with his mother and grandmother. And he's the only child. He's a boy. And grandma admitted it. I mean, she gave me the information. She said, you know, he doesn't have to share. He doesn't have anyone that he's having conflict with over who's first in line or who wants this chair or this crayon or whatever that because we know when kids get to to preschool, these things happen. Right. Um, He doesn't. We pretty much honestly kind of let him do what he wants to do. So when you get to a classroom, that's not happening because their structure, right, is circle time. It's nap time. It's eat time in your seats, please. Right. And he's like, what the heck is going on? I don't have to do that. (laughs) I never had to for the first three years of my life. And so, yeah, there were so many elements there that I wished he had a teacher who had some knowledge of child development and parenting skills and would apply them and have some empathy to this situation. She may not even have known that this is what was going on with the child and the parents didn't have the skills to advocate either. Yeah. And I think so many new parents don't even understand like the stages, ages and stages that your book so beautifully describes that have the mind of a child. I love that section where you really go through and talk about the different ages and stages so that as parents, we can understand, oh, my toddler's not bad. My toddler's right where they need to be testing the limits. That's great. If they weren't testing the limits, I should be more, I would be more. Something's wrong. Yeah. 
Right. I, it's, it's annoying, but if he's not doing that, why not? Right. <laughs> Something may be going on there. Yeah. You're absolutely. Absolutely right. We, um, you know, oftentimes parents get a little insulted when I suggest um, that they, you know, read parenting books or I give them a website to look at the, you know, healthychildren.org. Um, and I say, you know, we have a, this program or that program with the Early Learning Coalition, Baby Institute, you know, six week program. And I said, I'm not um, judging you. I even have taken parenting classes, right? There are skills to be learned um, because parenting is hard and children challenge us and we have our own stuff going on. And so we have to work smarter, not harder with this thing and find some strategies that have already been proven to work. And we can apply them consistently with our children and, and make things peaceful at home. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of parents, especially busy parents, want a quick fix. They want to bring the child in and say, there's something wrong. Can you diagnose them and give me a pill so we can get on with our lives? When you're trying to say, wait a minute, you know, a lot of this behavior is normal. We need to look at how we're behaving and how we're reacting. And and so it might take some change in us as parents. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That parent in the mirror, the, the second part of the book, right? The parent in the mirror, three whole chapters about doing our work. Absolutely. Is so important because we do have our stuff. We have our past, as we've talked about, we have any baggage or trauma that we've gone through. All of that pours over into our children and our home life. And so whatever work we need to do, uh, we've got to do it for them and ourselves. Um, it is so important to, to do that. So self-care, learning some stress management, uh, learning to what I call woosah, calm down, take some deep breaths, use some mindfulness, <laughs> right? Knowing your triggers. Like I literally, I say this in the book and I laughed at myself, but I literally talked to myself. That's how I, that's my, that's my <laughs> like, okay, you're getting angry, <laughs> you know? And so I tell this story of my son knowing after a certain time in the weekends, he's supposed to be off his video games. He's a video game head, right? And I wake up and I hear all this, <laughs> oh no, you know, all these noises. And I'm like, it's two in the morning, you know? And I'm like, I know, you know, all the stuff I'm saying to myself. I know he's not waking me up two in the morning on a video. Okay, this boy has lost his mind. Da, 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 you know, as I'm marching up the steps and he hears me and then it goes quiet. Right. And, you know, he's this. He was like 10 or 11. He's 12 now. And he had fear like, oh, my God, I'm in trouble. Right. And I I started talking to myself I'm like, OK, Candace. All right calm down, you know, and I get up there and these are, this is a moment where I got myself together and I said, simply, what is the rule? What is the rule? I had that whole other conversation to myself in my head. And sometimes I make myself laugh, right? Like I said, a couple of cuss words and all of that <laughs> stuff, right? Get it all out. And then I breathe and I say, I said, you know, what is the rule? 
And he's just looking at me with these big eyes. Mom, I, you know, there was a Fortnite event. Uh, I'm sorry, but it's, it started now. And I, I really wanted to say, what is the rule? Well, I'm not supposed to be on the after what time? 10 o'clock. Uh, so why are you up here? Well, because the, the, what is the rule? Okay. Give me the controller. Right. This is here's your consequence. Right. Give me the controllers. So he had a nice whole weekend with no nothing. Now you've messed it up. You can't even watch it with your friends again or play it again. You made a poor choice. Follow the rules. You could have watched it in the morning, but the, you know, they have to watch it when it's live, right? <laughs> they have to watch it when it's live. So anyway, that's, that's it. That's discipline. You know, we have rules. You knew better. You made the choice because you can't control, you know, it's their choice to make. And now here is the consequence. I haven't had that happen again. I bet. <laughs> I bet. I didn't have to call names. I didn't have to hit him. I didn't have to yell and scream. Did some of that in my head. Um, <laughs> but that hasn't happened again. But there was some prior work before that. We have rules. We have boundaries. He understood what the rule was, right? And then all I had to do was prompt him with that and then apply, you know, that's that's like it was the offense was made with the video, the games. So you lose the games. That was a no brainer. Sometimes it's not a no brainer. Sometimes I'm stuck like, OK, what am I going to do for this? Right. <laughs> and it's OK in those moments just to not always feel like we have to come up with something right then. Just I don't know what to do right now. I'm, let me think about this and I'm going to we'll talk about this later. It's OK to do that. That might even go, oh, wow, she's got to think about it. You know? Anticipation, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. She's got to think about it. Boy, am I going to, uh, this one's going to cost me. <laughs> yeah. So I love how you were able to um, harness your own frustration before you spoke to him. You know, almost like you have to say, you have to remind yourself, look, this is not a personal offense. He's not doing this to me. Right. right. In fact, this isn't even about me. Right. This is about him trying to fulfill his wants and his needs and his desires. You got it. You got it. Yeah. And so that makes it a little bit easier then to take the emotion out of it, doesn't it? I mean, when we're able to say, okay, he's not doing it. This is not a personal affront. Um, I used to yeah. teach early childhood teachers. And so I would, I would explain, you know, this child's behavior is not about you. Right. Right. And so yeah. I think as parents, if we can remind ourselves, this is about them and what they need. And so right. we got to help them get there in, a, in an it's appropriate a, way. Sometimes I say, it's not about you, boo. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's, it's just not. And I, you, you hit it on the head because I say that in the book. It's just a difference of, like you said, their wants in that moment, that impulsivity of, you know, I did it before I thought about it. Or, you know, they are not thinking about you when they made that decision. And I think we get so wrapped up in the quote unquote disrespect, right? Sometimes um, that, you know, you're being disrespectful because you knew the rule. It, that implies they thought about you, considered you, and still chose to, you know, that's not what's going on. It's literally just about what they want in that moment. And that is a skill that has to be learned. I mean, 
some adults still struggle with, with instant gratification, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So we need to take a quick break uh, and let Terry read a word from our sponsor, and then we'll come back and wrap up. Are you concerned about your child's reading or spelling performance? Are you worried your child's reading curriculum isn't thorough enough? Well, most learning struggles aren't the results of poor curriculum or instruction. They're typically caused by having cognitive skills that need to be strengthened. Skills like auditory processing, memory, and processing speed. Learning RX one-on-one brain training programs are designed to target and strengthen the skills that we rely on for reading, spelling, writing, and learning. Learning RX can help you identify which skills may be keeping your child from performing their best. In fact, we've worked with more than 100,000 children and adults who wanted to think and perform better. They'd like to help get your child on the path to a brighter and more confident future. Give Learning RX a call at 866 Brain01 or visit learningrx.com. That's learningrx.com. And we're back talking to Dr. Candace about positive discipline. So if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> okay, you can give two pieces of advice. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so let me take this moment to go through the high five essentials. That's what I want to do. Right. Um, yes. So anything through this book, anything that comes up with your kids, you should be able to work through the high five essentials. So high five discipline is a positive parenting approach to discipline. And I hope that with this book, you will be able to start on that path to raising happy, healthy, well-behaved kids. But also I want you to be able to create a family discipline plan right? Um, And that that can change with time as they grow and as they develop. And when you say that that didn't really work for them, let's tweak it. Let's go find some more skills. Okay. So I want you to do those. I want those two things to come out of this book. So anything that comes up, I think you can apply the high five essentials. And they are number one, um, a knowledge of child development and parenting skills, which we have so beautifully discussed through this whole conversation, right? Number two, good relational health. Number three, encouraging appropriate behavior. Number four, discouraging or correcting inappropriate behavior. And number five, managing your environment. And if I can go back just to kind of highlight a couple of things there, I think we've talked about knowledge of child development and parenting skills. I think everybody gets it, right? We agree. (laughs) Um, Number two, well, what I would say there is that when you gain, you don't have to have a child development degree. I sure don't, right? I'm a pediatrician. Um, I don't have that extra degree, right? Um, But when you have a little knowledge, you have a parenting book or you go to healthychildren.org, learn about or go through my book. How about that? <laughs> and look at, act like a parent, think like a child, learn why your toddler is doing what they're doing. Learn why your teenager is doing what you're doing. As I discussed those common behavioral challenges, then you will start to understand your child better. That helps you 
it helps guide your disciplinary strategies, but it also helps you set up realistic expectations. You need to meet your children where they are not where you want them to be, right? Because that would be a mismatch, right? You're over here, they're over here, you're never gonna get it right. And so we need to meet them where they are and know what they can do, not what we want them to do, okay? So that's that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that good relational health. When I talk about relational health with parents and I tell a story in the book about this, the first thing I get is I'm not going to be my child's friend. <laughs> I don't know why people go there, right? You mean I have to be there. For, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. That's not what I mean. There are some basic elements of a healthy relationship. And just like you should have that with your friends, with your partner, you should have it with your child, right? You should have mutual respect. Children deserve respect. They really do. You should have mutual trust. You should try, be able to trust your child and your child should be able to trust you. There should be love and affection. So we go through all of some of those elements and talk about how to establish it and how to check yourself to see that these things are being nurtured. And that way you're, you both love, respect, and feel safe and secure with each other. And when your child feels that, they will follow you. They will do what you ask them to do for the most part. Okay, so that's why that's so important. Then encouraging appropriate behavior. That's probably outside of the first two. That's one when you talk about I can do something to um, sway my children's behavior. This is the one you need to do more of than anything um, that will help your children make good behavioral choices. And that is things like praise and rewards and positive reinforcement, as we say. And so those skills are so important, catching your kids being good, letting them know you see their efforts, even if they fall a little bit short, right? Um, so, so, so important. That will drive them to make good choices. That will drive them to make good choices. Then four, I think it is, is what you do when they misbehave. But we don't want to have to do that all the time. We want to be doing more of the other stuff. This, 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 what we do when they misbehave should be rare. Okay. Um, if we have the other elements in place. And so we have, we have some things that we can do. Again, the goal is not to punish. We utilize different forms of consequences and we're consistent with that. Consistency is the key. And your child should know what those things are. Don't just hit them with some surprise thing. They should have rules and expectations and know what those things are. And then the last one is managing your environment. It's so important as well. Um, it is being proactive, not reactive, right? It's setting up the environment uh, for their success, their behavioral success. So if I, and I share this story in the book, if I am have five things to do today and I'm tugging around a toddler and a baby and I haven't fed them. Like I'm not prepared. I'm trying to get all this stuff done for my school age child's birthday party. I didn't plan ahead. I'm doing stuff last minute. I'm running around. I'm stressed. 
That is a recipe for disaster that is not managing the environment. The baby is going to cry. Ultimately, they're going to have a blowout and get poop everywhere. You're going to lose your mind because <laughs> you probably forgot the diapers too. And then, and then the toddler is going to have a major meltdown in the middle of somewhere and you're going to be embarrassed, which you shouldn't be because that's what toddlers do, but that's how we react, right? And so we can prevent anticipate and prevent this from happening by getting, you know, we could have broken down, oh, Johnny's party is Saturday. What do I need to do this week to get this done? Maybe even outside of the kids being around. It's not something you should even, if you have to, I understand, but you can maybe try to do it without them, right? All this running around. And then if you have to do one thing at a time, not all five and plan it out. And by all means, when you get up that morning, okay, got to have enough bottles, got to have wipes, got to have diapers. Uh, Let me take some snacks in case we didn't get lunch. And let me take, this is when you pull out those iPads (laughs) and the phones, right? Put them in the cart safely. Here you go, your iPad, here you, you know, and you have your list. You made your list. So you're not just roaming around endlessly in the store and you're trying to just set this thing up to prevent all of the chaos, right? That will ensue. And so you can do this at home through structure and routine, you know, eating around the same time each day, having bedtime routines so that you can have some time for yourself at night, um, get up and get ready in the morning routines. Um, so those things help train your kids. And that's what they do successfully at school, right? They have a routine, they have a schedule, and our children get along um, as everyone else does it and as they get trained on that process. And so we do not to be rigid in, in our home lives, but there needs to be some type of structure so that they can um, learn and be safe. That's important. Absolutely. Well, and we have to have developmentally appropriate expectations because like, let's say we have a bunch of breakables all over our living room and we have a toddler and they break something. Well, that's our fault, right? That's not our toddler's fault. And so getting upset because our toddler has a meltdown because they haven't eaten all day because we didn't plan ahead and bring snacks with us while we drag them for adult errands. That's on us is what I'm hearing you say, right? So yeah, we've got to own it. We've got to own it. That's so true. All right. Fantastic. This has been a great conversation. I'm super excited for our listeners to get your book. Um, So Dr. Candice's book is called High Five Discipline, Positive Parenting for Happy, Healthy, Well-Behaved Kids. It's being published by the American Academy of Pediatrics. We will put a link to purchase her book in the uh, Brainy Books section of our website. And we'll also put a link in our show notes. along with Dr. Candice's website and social media handles so that you can connect with her and learn more about her work. So uh, we are out of time and um, need to wrap up. If you enjoyed our show, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also watch us on YouTube and follow us on social media at The Brainy Moms. So look, until next time, we know you're busy moms and we're busy moms. So we're out. See ya. Bye-bye.